All right, gentlemen, it's good to be with you. Um, as I've been um, up, I have a two-hour rule, so anytime before I'm getting ready to speak to a group of people, especially if it's going to be recorded, I have to be awake for two hours, which most of the time is not a problem. But for Men's Roundtable, when you're teaching in the morning, it is a problem. So 4.30 comes early. But every time I get here, um, which I usually get up and have about this much coffee and eat some breakfast and sit and think, just get my soul right. But by the time I get over here, it's always interesting to me that when I get in the room on our Pelham Road campus, there are already a bunch of people who are working and sometimes arguing with one another. And I love it because there's angry man energy in the room by the time I get here. And so um, I just, I thought it'd be good because a lot of you may not have thought about the fact that even as you show up, wherever you're showing up, downtown, Powdersville, Spartanburg, wherever you are, when you show up, there are already people who are there who are creating some shade for you. And so I thought it'd be a good idea for us just to say thank you this morning to the men, especially the guys who've been up early serving us. So we're grateful. Our church relies um, almost exclusively, for what happens on the stage, we rely almost exclusively on volunteers. And so our production staff, we, we try to spend most of our ministry dollars as a local church on um, discipleship staff and shepherding and leadership. And most of our leadership for our events and for Sunday morning, most of that's done by volunteers who are sacrificing significant time and putting themselves out there. So we just, point of awareness, you see a guy who's wearing a name tag, who's been serving you, you give thanks and tell him you appreciate it. Um, Self-awareness. This is our our final leadership value that we want to talk about. Um, And I appreciate the fact that you gentlemen have been guinea pigs for us. This is internal language that we've been using with our staff for the last couple of years in staff development and just trying it out and you being guinea pigs this time has been a huge help. We have learned so much from teaching and your questions and um, where we've not been clear. It's been a great learning experience for us. But in many ways, this value that, that we're ending on is um, really one of the more critical And um, so we wanted to take some time to address it. Because in many ways, there is nothing um, more embarrassing or shameful. It's just the idea, one time I was teaching a class, and I taught an entire class with my pants unzipped. There were a room full of people who were there, and about half of them were dudes, and there are people who were in this room who were a part of that class, and, and... and you, I'll call you out again, were such a coward that you didn't love me enough to make me self-aware of the fact that I'm standing there with my pants and zip. Thankfully, that was one of the days that I had underwear on, and so it wasn't too, it wasn't, it wasn't too exposing or terribly embarrassing. But at the end of that, just the idea, you know, or if you ever find something hanging or something between your teeth and you wonder how long has that been there, and how exposed and vulnerable have I been? And, and everybody that I've been with, now I know I can't trust because they don't love me enough to tell me the truth and help me be self-aware. It's like the, the parable, the, the fairy tale of the emperor who has no clothes on. I remember as a kid, and, and many of you may have 
I don't know if, if the fairy tale scarred me or if it was just, um, just some kind of common archetype that we all struggle with, but I had dreams of being in public all the time and being um, naked, right? And so you're like, oh, everybody's looking at me. And the idea, of that moment of self-awareness, like I have this real distinct memory of when I was in high school, being in high school as a freshman, which is a difficult year for me, and it's for the days of Freshman Academy and before the days that, you know, te- back then when I went to school and a lot of you went to school, uh, teachers thought bullying was funny, right? So they would laugh at you while somebody was beating you up. So it was before the days of ad campaigns and, you know, bullying was just something that you kind of had to handle and you got tough. Well, I, I got bullied as a freshman because this senior, his girlfriend, got a crush on me. And it wasn't my fault. I wasn't even flirting with her, but it's just my hotness overcame her, right? And so she had a crush on me, and so this dude was really connected. Some of y'all didn't think that's funny. I don't know why you wouldn't think that's funny. Wake up your sense of humor. And so um, this, his buddies were a bunch of football players, and so it was like a sport. And so I was very vulnerable that year, and I remember I, I had these dreams of being at a pep rally, and for some reason I'm at a pep rally, and I'm in the middle of our gym, and I'm doing jumping jacks, and I had this moment of self-awareness in my dream. It's like, I'm doing jumping jacks at a pep rally. This is kind of weird. And then I'm like, in my underwear. And then I'm like, this is really not good. And everybody's kind of standing there, ah, look at you. Um, self-awareness, the idea that I might be exposed in some way and not know about it. It's a, it's a fear that's deep within us. And I think that, or maybe it's just deep within me, but one of, one of the problems that we face when it comes time to lead is if you don't really know who you are, then how in the world can you take the strengths that God has put within you and put them in play for the benefit of other people? And that really, at the end of the day, that's what God's calling us to do. He's calling us to take the strengths that he has entrusted to us as men and to put them in play in such a way that other people get the benefit, that other people are fed, that other people are nourished, that other people have shade to draw up underneath. And in order for us to be able to do that, we have to have some awareness of actually what are my unique strengths. What are, who am I as a man? What are the strengths that God has entrusted to me? And then how do I put them in play in this season of my life? In these circumstances, where is the intersection of my strengths, the needs that are in front of me? How do I need to be carrying myself? What do I need to be doing so that other people benefit from that? I mean, and this is a universally understood um, idea that we need to be self-aware. So if we think about in Western philosophy, you have someone like the great philosopher Socrates, right? So we got a quote from him, right? Socrates. His maxim, what he said, all of philosophy, the goal of all of philosophy was for you to know yourself. So that, that's the most important thing. When you, when you boil it all down, self-awareness is the goal. It is the summation of all wisdom. It's the most important thing. Everything else rests on top of that. As Western philosophy, if we look to the East, somebody that you may not know quite as well, Lao Tzu Te Ching, and I know you guys read him a lot, 
But the importance of this guy is in his philosophy, he's 6th century B.C. is kind of the estimate that, that we have of when he wrote. But the foundations of Confucianism, um, Buddhism, and Taoism, they all trace um, some of their most influential ideas back to this guy. And so if we look at what he has, this says, he says, Knowing others is wisdom. Knowing yourself is enlightenment. Mastering others requires force. Mastering the self requires strength. And so you look at that and you say, well, why are you making such a big deal? Here's what I want you to say. Is it deep in the human soul? Deep in the human soul. People of every tradition, they understand that it is really significant. It is critically important for us to know ourselves, to be self-aware. In my view, one of the most important theologians of the last few hundred years, a guy named John Calvin, began his entire systematic theology not with the doctrine of God and not even so much with the doctrine of Scripture. He went to that, but he began with the doctrine of knowledge, and he said all the wisdom that we possess consists in two parts, the knowledge of yourself and the knowledge of God, and you can't know one without properly understanding the other. And then he goes through and builds this case. I believe he's 100% right. And so what I would say to you is that people from all different walks of life, all different traditions, and different times all recognize that self-awareness is critically important. Now the question is, how well do you know you? How self-aware are you? Again, because if, if you aren't, if you, if you aren't really skilled at knowing who you are and who you aren't, then your ability to lead, to make decisions, to serve people is going to be impaired. And it's going to play out. You're going to become more and more estranged from yourself the longer you live. Now, how tragic is that? To think the longer I live, I become increasingly estranged from myself. And if you're estranged from yourself then your ability to actually experience community with anybody else is going to be really impaired. According to Calvin, he would say, you can't really experience the kind of community with God because you can't know how to relate to God unless you understand the truth of who you are and where you are and what you need from Him and what you need to confess to Him and where you need to depend on Him. So there's a legitimate case that can be made that self-awareness is the king of all the virtues. And so, let's just think about it for a few minutes. When, um, when we think about this, I want to give you a grid. It's a grid that I use all the time. I was really heavily influenced by um, a theologian who spent a lot of time thinking about how we know what we know. And there's an entire branch of philosophy called epistemology. It's the study of knowledge. How do we know? How do we how can we be sure that what we know is that we actually know it, that we aren't confused, that, that we're thinking properly? And, um, and when he begins to talk about this from a Christian perspective, he says we always know things from three different perspectives. And so I want to show you a version of that. We have a slide for it, so you just take a look at it. We use this a lot. We've used it a lot with our women's ministry. Um, and I've changed some of the words here for us, but... Um, but this is something I want, I want you to have. So if you're taking notes, I want you to write it down. I want you to use this as a grid. This will help you in a bunch of different areas of your life. I use this every day. 
And it's, it's a way of thinking about, do I really understand the truth? Do I have an accurate perspective on this? And there's some built-in humility to it. And so here are the three perspectives. The first, the top, at the top of the pyramid, or the triangle, what you see is, I've just written common experience there. If we were talking in a, in a formal philosophical sense, we'd say the normative perspective, the standard. And for us as Christians, we believe that there is a standard. Now, we don't know the standard fully. And even at the end of the day, the Bible is the standard that we operate under, but the Bible is not everything. The Bible is what God has chosen to reveal to us through stories and through the inspiration of the Spirit to give us the direction that we need and the understanding we need for relating to Him now. But ultimately, God Himself is larger than that. And there's more about God that's not even revealed to us that we'll explore in the future. But we do have a standard. We have clarity that's been revealed to us through the way in which God's created us, but then in particular through the interpretation of God's creation that we have through the Scriptures. And that's our standard. It's what we have in common. It's true for everybody. But then, if you're going to be self-aware, it's not just important that you understand that, and that is a piece of it, but then you're also going to have to understand your own uniqueness as an individual, your individuality, how God made you. God's sovereign plan in your life, which is a combination of your own biochemistry, the structures of your brain, which parts of your brain are more activated than other parts. It's all of your past history, what God brought about in your life, working through even the sins of your past, and then your story of redemption to bring you to the place where you are now. And then your circumstances and your situation, which God is sovereign over, he has you where you are right now. And so over all three of these things, in our creation and in God's revelation of himself in the scripture, in our uniqueness as an individual and how God has formed us and how he has redeemed us and the spiritual gifts that he's given to us and over our circumstances, the season of life we find ourselves in, our situation, God is sovereign over all of those things. And you being self-aware means that you're conscious of what's going on in all of those areas and you are thinking about what does it look like for me to lead at this season of my life with the unique gifts, strengths, weaknesses that God has put within me with a clear understanding of who I am theologically as God's revealed it to me in the Scriptures. So you get all of that? That's a lot, right? So I'm going to try and break this down, and we're going to move through those three perspectives in the time that we have remaining. So let's look first of all at what we're common, calling here our common experience, the things that we share in common that are common for all men. We're going to think particularly of men. And I'm, I've just broken it down into four main areas. Some of them are tensions, some of them are perspectives that I want to make sure you recognize and you understand. The first one is what we would call in theology the creator-creature distinction. The most important thing that you can know about you is that there is a God and you are not him. That's, that's the most important point of self-awareness that you'll ever have in your life. The first two things that I taught my kids from a theological standpoint, as soon as they could think, and we said stupid in our house, so if y'all didn't say that in your house, then you missed a great opportunity, right? So, but we say stupid in our house, all right? So we said, here's the first thing, is that there is a God and you are not him. So if you found any of my kids when they were three years old, and you'd say, hey, buddy, what's the most important thing you need to know? He'd say, there was a God, and I am not him. And you'd say, what does that mean? He'd say, I have no idea, right? 
But we're going to get the words in his head. And we use some other catechisms, too, that were less smart, Alec, but this was white family catechism. Sarcasm is a spiritual gift in our family. There's a God, and you are not him. And that's one of our maxims, because that is a key point of self-deception. And this is one of the things that you need to understand, fundamentally, as we get through this, is that our problem is not just that we struggle with self-awareness. Our problem is that we don't want to be self-aware. And we're going to get into that as we get through this a little bit and why that is. But you've got to preach this to yourself. Is that there is a God. He is outside me. He is above me. I am not him. I have to come under him. Fundamental lie that human beings believed initially and everyone since then has struggled with that. We want to migrate ourselves to being the center of the universe. And when we do that, we are constantly wounded, frustrated, and angry because we can't understand why everyone else doesn't worship us. We can't understand why all the circumstances of our lives don't bend to our will. We feel like something is wrong when someone mistreats us or someone slights us or someone doesn't recognize how great something we did is. And that's because what we've done is we've become, we've lost our self-awareness and we begin to believe that we, that the universe serves us rather than we serve the universe. Now, if you grab a Bible and look, and you don't have to, but in Genesis in chapter 2, we see the idea of the rationale behind the creation of the man. And so God's created everything when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Neither wild plants nor grains were growing on the earth, for the Lord God had not yet sent rain to water the earth and... There was no man yet to cultivate the ground. We were created to serve the world. That's the rationale behind it. And that Darren Aronofsky in his new movie on Noah, he didn't get that entirely right. But there is a measure of humility, a thread of humility that runs through his telling of the Noah story that recognizes that our problem is that we fail to understand that we exist to serve God's purposes in the world. There's a God and you are not him. Fundamental idea that we got to get straight. And here's what I tell you is, and you got to preach that to yourself. Second thing is not only the creator-creature distinction, but the second thing we need to understand is the distinction between male and female. These are big ideas that we got to get, is we have to consciously own the fact that I am a man and not a woman, and there are certain implications of that. And it's why, if you have not been a part of Quest for Authentic Manhood, one of the things that we hold all of our campus pastors accountable for is that within one year of someone plugging into our church, we want every man to go through Quest for Authentic Manhood, and we want every woman to go through biblical femininity. And, it's, and we measure it, and we hold people accountable for it. And they're either blessed because they meet that standard, or they're cursed because they fail to meet that standard. We're serious about it. Because this distinction is under attack in our culture, and justifiably because there have been some caricatures of this distinction that have led to oppression and led to all types of injustice. 
And so, and we don't, we don't want to be about any of that. But what we have to do is, the, the blessing for, for us is not to obliterate something that's fundamental to who we are. We need to understand what does it mean to be a man. You need to be self-aware and self-conscious about your masculinity because it determines the ways in which you reflect the image and glory of God. And that is affirmed in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. That distinction is not done away with. There are a couple of places where in the New Testament writings you see God talking about the fact that oppression is ended and people say, well, see, it says this distinction is done away with. But then there are other parts of the the New Testament where you see very clearly that the created order and the standards that God has established for us and our distinctiveness as male and female has been preserved. It's been freed, but it's been preserved. And we need to own that. We need to be self-aware about it. I don't have time to go into all of that, but I'll just tell you. That when you're sitting down, and for you fathers, and for me, my, my youngest son is 16 years old. And my three older sons are men. They're men. They're carrying their own weight. They're contributors. They, they're accountable. They're responsible. I'm helping them. But my three older sons are very clearly in the man category. My 16-year-old is learning what that transition is like, and we're making a lot of progress, and I'm really proud of him. But here's what I would say to you is that having a standard, having a standard that is rooted in Scripture, may not be right about every little factor, but having a standard and having that orientation so you can be self-aware about what it means to be a man, critically important. Third thing that we have in common for all of us, and when we get down, let me just say this, and when we get down to your individuality, it's going to be really important because it means that you're going to need to have other people around you who can help you that you have a common language with. So let me make that point. This is why it's important. It's because you need other people that you can talk to, and you have some language to be able to have profitable conversations. So understanding the difference between male and female. Third thing, point of self-awareness, is understanding this about yourself, is that you are created and in the image of God, is that you are his image bearer, and there is a certain amount of dignity and glory that has been put within you. And for some of you, you had so much shame heaped on you, and you've experienced so much disappointment and failure that it isn't easy for you to see this. So you got to get that. you got to get that you were created. You're the image and glory of God. That is true of you. But then at the same time, there's a tension that has to be main, maintained is that you are simultaneously fallen. That you are broken. That you are living under the curse And so both of those things are true at the same time. And a lot of times what happens is men in particular will run to one of two areas. They'll either run towards, lose their self-awareness and becoming arrogant because they think how awesome they are. And they're not aware of all the ways in which they are broken. And so they're unreflective and that just makes them dangerous and they don't realize how jacked up they are until they've done so much damage that it takes decades for their life to be put back together. But they trusted themselves and their ideas and their talents so much. And the more talented you are and the better your ideas, and some people are more talented and they have better ideas, then the temptation that you can play those out for a lot longer. And you can insulate yourself from the consequences of your fallenness, especially if you have financial resources. But for some of you, you just you, you, the temptation is to run to the other end, and you just are tempted to wallow in self-pity. And you feel like you got the shaft, and you're not as talented as anybody else, and you're not as powerful as anybody else, and everything you touch turns to 
crap and everything everybody else touches turns to gold and you don't know why your life is this way and why did God do this to me? Men tend to run to one of those two extremes and a point of self-awareness is for you and you got to know what your temptation is. You got to maintain the biblical tension. And it takes faith to do that. It takes faith to see that I don't have all the answers when I feel 10 feet tall and bulletproof. And then, and then a lot of us, I think the more common experience is we swing back and forth between those two things rather than in faith maintaining them. So point of self-awareness. You've got to maintain that tension. And here's the last thing, the fourth one, is sinner and saint. You say, well, that's not the same thing between being created in the image of God and having all this power and glory and, and being fallen. I would say that here's the difference. The difference is it, once you get the fact and some of you may be here and you may not understand this. But if you, once you embrace the fact that you are fallen and that you are a sinner, the idea of the tension here is that although I am a sinner, and that is still a part of who I am, although my nature has been transformed as a Christian, I still experience indwelling sin. But God has made me, saint means holy. God has made me holy. God has set me apart. And so it's another version of the image of God and being fallen. But it has in view, this tension has in view what Jesus has done for me in order to make me holy. Is that I'm not just good because God made me, but I am set apart, I am holy. God has set me apart for his purposes at great personal expense. Jesus came into the world, became a man to experience all that I experience so that he might offer himself as a sacrifice for me and that he might make me holy by his blood. Now those are four theological ideas that every man, if you're going to be a healthy, self-aware man, if you're going to lead well, then you're going to have to understand those four ideas. And they're not just ideas that you get in your head and then you walk away from and you're good on them for the rest of your life. They are ideas that on a daily basis you have to wrestle with. I wrestle with those four ideas every day. I am conscious of the fact that I have to preach to myself that I am not the center of the universe and that I am under the authority of God. I am conscious that I have to preach to myself that I am a man and I am here to reject passivity and accept responsibility and to lead courageously. I am here to be a covering under which other people need to draw up underneath in their weakness. That's why I'm here. And so I can't get frustrated with other people when I find them doing that and feel like, when's somebody going to do something for me? Because that's my whole reason for being created. That's why I'm made the way I'm made. And i got to own that. And i got to weather that. And when I suffer, I go, yes, this is part of what I was built for. There is a unique form of suffering that is mine to bear in this world because I am a man. The third thing i got to preach to myself, image of God but fallen. And then i got to preach the hope of the gospel to myself. That is a daily exercise in self-awareness. And so there's the theological perspective, and that's common for all of us, and we can encourage one another in those four areas. And here's what it'll do. If you have those theological points being worked out in your life, it will produce a humility in you so that when it comes time to do the real hard work on the bottom of this triangle, if we go back and look at the triangle again, 
when you get to the bottom of this triangle, it is going to require a lot of hard work that has to be done in the context of relationships, and it is going to require humility from you that can only be produced, the humility that we're talking about can only be produced by understanding those tensions that we talked about up there in those first four categories. And so that's why it's so important. Because otherwise it just devolves into pragmatism and God is nowhere in view. And so if we're going to be Christian men and we're really going to be self-aware, we've got to understand ourselves in our relationship to God and we're working with His Holy Spirit under the authority of the Spirit to humble ourselves and be open to what God would say to us, that theological perspective is critically important for that in order to sustain that over the course of your life, to keep you from getting disoriented. So that common perspective, critical. Now let's talk for just a few minutes about our individuality and our season of life. Matt did a good job on all of this last week. And so there's some things that we don't need to touch on here. You can go back and listen to Matt because when Matt was talking about the idea of reinventing continuously, he spent a fair amount of time talking about what it looks like to reinvent. The, the thrust of it really was for you to be reinventing yourself continuously and how that's going to change over the course of your life. And so there's some self-awareness that's built into that. But here's what I would focus on as we think about our individuality. It's just a few categories to give you. So if you, if you drew that triangle under individuality, here are a few ideas I want you to think about. First of all, I want you to think about your unique strengths. And I'm going to give you just some practical things that we're going to run through. Your unique strengths. And this is where I would encourage you to go buy the book Strengths Finder, book Leading from Your Strengths, Go buy the book, um, go buy some of the Myers-Briggs profiling systems. Use a couple or three of them. There's some books about how people learn, learning styles that I've used. Um, um, one's by Tobias. There's a version of Myers-Briggs called Please Understand Me, and it's the worst title of a book ever, but they're little summaries of different personality styles. Incredibly helpful. And see where you test out. And here's what I'm going to tell you. There's not some people say, oh, I hate those things. Those are stupid. Let me tell you why we hate those things. Because we don't like anybody defining us. We don't like giving that kind of authority really to anybody, especially to some impersonal system. And I'm not saying that everything in all of those tests is right. I'm saying that in the aggregate, as you do a number of them, you will probably begin to see some patterns arise. And here again, this is what's so important. And those patterns will give you language for having profitable conversations with other people. And that's the real key. And so if you really want to be aware of who you are as an individual, then humble yourself, run yourself through some of those grids, go back and look at them, and then have conversations with other people, ask for their time, to sit down with you and say, hey, would you take a look at this and see if this matches up? People who really know you. So understanding your strengths and kind of your basic orientation and the way that God has woven you and put you together. Your spiritual gifts. Understanding what they are. Because it's one of the fundamental ideas, and I think people are really confused about this a lot of times. One of the fundamental ideas is that when you become a Christian, when you are born again and the Holy Spirit comes inside of you, here's what happens is, God now is going to work through you in the world. 
That's what he's doing. God's working through you in the world. And so he deposits himself into you. And the grace that he wants to put out in the world, there's a, there's a piece of how God wants to dispense grace in the world that he wants to dispense through you. And so he gives you these gifts that are called charismatic gifts. That just means gifts of grace. Now today, when that word language gets used, it, it, charismatic usually means people are thinking about speaking in tongues or prophesying or some kind of really um, extemporaneous um, expression. And in our culture, it's come to mean something that's kind of excessive, right? But what it means is it's a gift of grace that God in his grace gives to you, and it also becomes a way in which he gets his grace out to other people in the world. And so if you're a Christian then the Holy Spirit has done that because he wants to use you as a conduit. And there's a unique way in which he wants to take all of your strengths and he's going to give you a gift that then your strengths nuance how it gets put in play in the world. And you need to know that. And I just wonder how many men don't know, don't have a real sense of awareness about what are their spiritual gifts. I had a man come to me, he'd been a Christian for a long time. It was early in my ministry. He was in his 50s. And I was in my early to mid-twenties. And, um, and he was, I didn't know it at the time, but he was jealous of me. Because in his fifties, <clears throat> his whole Christian experience, since he had become a Christian, he had wanted to be a teacher. And in his mind, that was his gifting. And the, and the, and the whole world was messed up. Every pastor he'd ever had, every church he'd ever been a part of had done him wrong. And... And people were really unfaithful because, and people don't show up for anything because anytime he would convince someone that he should be teaching something, nobody would come to it. And so the world's messed up, all churches are corrupt because everybody's against me and nobody will give me an opportunity to teach. When in reality, there was a simple solution for it. He was terrible. I mean, terrible. He could not string two sentences together and make a coherent thought. Now, he was a very talented engineer, and I'm not making a commentary on how engineers communicate. I know y'all are in an insecure bunch, okay? So just engineers in the room, you've got to deal with your insecurities, all right? Just beat them all down. I'm just telling you, it just so happened that he was an engineer. I'm not saying, I'm not inferring anything, right? But he, um, I'm just kidding. And so there was this whole process where we had to decide, but this man, it was, there were a failure on a bunch of different levels, but to try to love him, to convince him, hey, bro, this is not how you're gifted. He ended up leaving the church in a huff, actually ended up having to be disciplined by the church because he came to, became divisive over this issue. He was estranged from himself, not aware of what his spiritual gifts are. So if you're thinking about what it looks like for you to be self-aware, you've got to understand what your strengths are, your natural strengths that God's given to you. What are your spiritual gifts? You've got to think about what are my lifelong passions? I'm amazed at how many men don't know what they're passionate about. Say, so, hey, man, what are you really passionate about? And he's like, uh, not aware. I don't know what he really cares about. What are his wounds? What are your wounds that are peculiar to your experience? 
That's part of why we spend some time whenever we do Quest for Authentic Manhood. People say, why do y'all spend this time talking about father wounds and mother wounds and mentor wounds and all these wound, wound, wound? It's all this psycho Bible. I don't see any of that stuff in the Scripture. It's a waste of time. It's unbiblical. We get persecuted for that. When I get in heaven, I got extra stars in my crown for being persecuted for it. Um, you know, here's what I would say to you. Here, here's what a wound is. A wound is the consequence of someone else's sins against you when you were in a position that was really vulnerable. And I think a lot of the reason men don't like thinking about this is because it's threatening for a lot of men to, to admit that they got their feelings hurt. And I'm okay with that. And so for a lot of men, the only emotion that they feel like it's safe to experience is frustration or anger. And so if you talk to a dude and you say, hey, bro, what's wrong with you? You rarely have a guy say, well, you know, I'm really just kind of wounded, got my feelings hurt. Because I put myself out there. What they usually say is, man, I'm so frustrated with my wife. That ticks me off. Right? That's the emotion. But you almost never have a guy who will be willing to say, yeah, I mean, that wounded me. And one of the ideas that we got to get and get okay with is the fact that you are wounded. And if you don't know the ways in which you are wounded by the sins against you from your past, then you are going to be driven by them. You're going to be motivated. You're going to make career decisions. You're going to make educational decisions. Um, You're going to make a decision about who you marry. You're going to marry somebody to stick it to your mom. Say, Mom, I'll show you. You can't control me. I'm marrying crazy woman. That'll teach you. Happens all the time. Happens all the time. People marry people in order to prove something because they're not self-aware about a wound that they hadn't really dealt with. That's a fact. It's one of the things that we're dealing with. And then you'll talk about something that's complicated. Dude sitting in men's round table realized he married crazy woman in order to stick it to his mom. And now Jesus is saying, hey, love crazy woman in the same way that Jesus loves the church. He's like, okay, I'm going to be a man in this situation. I'm going to own it. But it's going to be real difficult for him to own his responsibility for that if he is not first aware of the fact that, his, that the problem is not actually his wife's. The problem is his that he is actually responsible for that, that he created that mess because he was not aware of why he's doing what he's doing. He wasn't motivated by it. Self-awareness key in understanding and wounds. Your woundedness and your brokenness, your peculiar form of that, critically, critically important. Another thing in your individuality, what about your sins? I mean, we, we can go on and on and on and on and on, all right? Your own unique experience of God's grace. All of those things are pieces of who you are as an individual. Now, so let's take that, let's move over. And then we're going to talk about, we're going to get real practical for just a couple minutes. Think about your season of life. One of the, here's the thing that I just, I had an experience. I went to speak at Clemson FCA um, just this past week, which was kind of cool for me. I've got a couple of kids who are down at Clemson now, but I hadn't been on a college campus in a while. And as I was getting ready to go there, one of the things, I was thinking, how do I be relevant, right? And so I found myself having to wrestle through understanding 
some things in order to really be effective and lead well in that environment. And here's what, I, here's what I had to come to terms with is I'm old, right? And I know for a lot of you, you don't like it when I say I'm old. But trust me, I went to FCA last week. I'm old. But i tell you the upside of being old is I'm not as dumb as they were, all right? Sorry, all the Clemson FCA guys who are watching this. I'm just, I know a bunch of stuff that they don't know. And they genuinely don't know. They can't because they're young. They had not had those experiences. And so for me, it's really important for me to understand the season of life that I'm in. I am not, I don't need to go in there and try and connect with them and be like one of them. I need to go in and leverage the fact that I'm not like you. You're dumb, I'm smart. Listen to me, right? I go be sage. Go say, hey, can I tell you something? I've actually done a lot of the things that you're getting ready to go do. Let me offer you some, some advice. And it's on them whether they receive it or not. Now, I didn't tell them they were dumb and I'm smart, but I kind of implied it. And they took it pretty well. And so, but I'm old, I'm not cool, I'm not hip, I don't understand the stuff that they're all talking about, I don't know how to talk the way that they talk, I'm a father, I'm not a brother, I'm a sage, I'm not one who's alongside of them, I'm somebody who's down the road, sees the future. i got to leverage all of that, i got to be aware of that, it's the season of life that I'm in. Another way in which this is really important is we see in season of life, we see, I see this all the time with a man. There's another example, point of self-awareness. man who um, gets married has all this freedom. And let's say they wait a little while, which most people do today, to get married. And they wait a little while before they have kids. And so they're a little bit older. Like Rachel and I was 21. Um, we got married, 23. We have our first son, 29. We have four kids. So my 20s are a blur. I don't even remember them. Rachel and I were talking about it. I have like five memories from the whole decade of my life. Because we were either married and poor and going to seminary, or we were pregnant and poor and doing ministry. That's it. That's what we were doing. So we were just working, got our heads down, trying to take care of everybody. And so we kind of got our heads up when we got into our 30s and felt like we were human again. But we'll have conversations about this idea around season of life. And I'll have a conversation, and a guy will be frustrated. He's got two little kids, and he's frustrated because he doesn't have any free time. I was like, why are you frustrated? He's like, I just don't have any free time. I was like, you have two kids. How are you going to have free time when you have two kids? Three kids, four kids. Of course you don't. You got her pregnant four times. It's a consequence. You have no free time. You got a decade where you have no free time. Don't be frustrated about it. Don't be wrapped around the ass. It's just a season that you got to move through. And not panicking and hitting the panic button, what's wrong? You know, I don't have any me time. Right, you don't have any me time. You have we time now. The day is going to come. Rachel and I are getting to the point now where we have a lot of me time. And now, you know what I realize? I like to have more we time. I get my feelings hurt because people don't come home. I'm like, what happened to me? I couldn't wait to get everybody out of the house. Now they're all out of the house. Y'all have heard me say stuff like this publicly. I get them all out of the house. I'm like, man, I can't wait to get everybody out of the house. So I'll be alone with my wife. We walk around naked. And now they're out of the house. I don't want to walk around naked. I want them to come back and talk to me. It's ridiculous. I'm just telling you, that's what it's going to be. But you've got to recognize the season that you're in, be self-aware, so that you can leverage the strengths of the season that you're in, the situation that you find yourself in, rather than gripe about the difficulties of it. All right, so we got these three perspectives. Common experience, individuality, and season. Now, how do you leverage all of that to get clarity and self-awareness? And let me give you just um, five things, all right? So I'm going to give you five simple things. And then I'll go ahead and tell you, for your discussion time, all I want you to do, I want you to talk about how you're doing in these five areas. All right, so you need to write this down if you're going to have a meaningful discussion. All right, if you are going to be self-aware, the first thing is humility. 
That's it. Now that we see the perspectives on what it is, is what you're going to have to understand. Is that proud people cannot be self-aware. If you are proud and self-promoting, so you got your own agenda that you're pushing, or if you are proud and self-protective, so that you're afraid of what other people might say about you, then you cannot be self-aware. It's ruled out. It's impossible for you. If you can't be self-aware, you can't lead in the way that God intended you to lead. If you can't lead in the way that God intended you to lead, then your life is going to be a ruin. So follow the necessary train. So if you're self-protective or self-promoting, I can't stand to hear the truth about me because it's devastating, or I know the truth about me and I got my own agenda, and so I don't have time to listen to anybody. It don't matter what kind of pride you got, either one, self-pitying or self-promoting, self-protecting, self-promoting, either way, irrelevant. Both of them preclude the possibility of you having any self-awareness. You don't have self-awareness, your life's a ruin, so you have to have humility. And you got it. The humility is going to come as you engage in this process of acknowledging all these different aspects that we talked about this morning. Second thing is, you have to be vigorously engaged with Scripture on a regular basis. You got to be vigorously engaged in Scripture. If you don't know the Bible, you cannot be self aware, not in the fullest sense of this. You're going to be missing a key ingredient because the scriptures were given to reveal to us who God is and what it's like to live in a relationship with him. So who we are and what our relationship needs to look like. So you've got to be vigorously engaged in the scriptures. The third thing, you've got to be vigorously engaged in wise, loving, truth-telling community. Vigorous engagement. In wise, loving, truth-telling community. It's why we spend so much time giving key language and theological ideas that are in common is because the only way that you can change is not by listening to a talk, but it's by hearing something catalytic and then getting together with other people and working it out. And you need to have wise, loving people who will tell you the truth on a regular basis. Here's the fourth thing. You have to make yourself vulnerable through trying and failing. Vulnerability through trying and failing. You have to do some things that won't go well. This this is key. You have to put yourself out there and try some things that you know you're probably going to fail at. And then rather than licking your wounds and being self-pitying afterwards, you have to take notes and you have to go back and you have to ask questions. You have to do an autopsy on your failures. You have to say, wow, that was really a train wreck. I wonder why that was a train wreck. And you ask your wife or you ask your friends. You talk about it. You think about it. And over time, you're going to get some clarity about it. And that brings the fourth, the fifth thing. And the fifth thing is you need to understand self-awareness comes over a prolonged period of time. So for all of you guys who are 20 years old and under, and really you guys who are 30 years old and under, you need to not, you need to understand, i got to keep working at this for a long time. I was in my late 30s or my early 40s before I really understood even what I want to do with my life. Now, if you'd asked me in my 20s, I had all kinds of certainty. But if I had gotten in my 20s what I thought I wanted, it would not have been the right thing for me. And so it's going to be a prolonged period of time. So I think it's going to take patience. So let's take those five things 
I'm going to pray for you, dismiss you to your groups. You take the time you have left. Talk about how am I doing in those practices and where do I have questions about who I am in light of what we talked about this morning. Let me pray for you. Father in heaven, thanks for this time. I pray that you would be with these men as they've been drinking from a fire hose. And um, I pray that you would help us all by your grace to gain the clarity you want for us. In Jesus' name, amen.